Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of this brand new podcast, The Dragonborn's Guide to Adventuring and Dungeoning. I am your host, Richard Stace C, and today we will be talking about, well, welcome to the dungeon, where it's not all fun and games. Uh, actually, it is. Or at least that's the name of this episode. I know, pardon the, the terrible pun, but basically, we're going to be talking about the very first thing that you would first things you would probably need to know about when playing Dungeons and Dragons. And for that, I brought in a dungeon master himself. Caleb Mitchell. Thank you. How are you doing today, Caleb? Pretty good. Yourself? <laughs> doing good, doing good. Mm-hmm. All right, so well, Caleb, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's definitely a new feeling getting this. Experience. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So let's start from the top. What exactly is Dungeons and Dragons, or D and D for short? Dungeons and Dragons, or D and D as it's known as the acronym, is a role-playing tabletop game or RPG. In this sense, Dungeons & Dragons is a game that combines both the sense of playing a game, but using your imagination to build a story. It was originally, from what I've been able to gather, the history of D&D itself started with war games. Essentially, the person who first created D&D was playing war games and they had a scenario where there was a tuss, they were tunneling underneath their castle and they had to defend them in the tunnels. And that was kind of a, the idea that helped spark using a war tactic like scenario, adding role playing to it, and essentially created D&D as it's known today. It's gone through many changes and variations. As we both all know, it's in its fifth edition now, which is probably, I would say, its most refined to players both new and experienced offering both spectrums that are enticing for the new people but satisfactory for the the veterans and this game has been in my mindset for a long time i've enjoyed its many experiences even with my limited knowledge and experience nice so for the viewers at home, why don't we briefly go over essentially what it means to what a role-playing game or RPG actually is, because that's essentially what the core mm-hmm. is of Dungeons and Dragons. It's essentially, if I understand it correctly, based on my experience, is that it is a essentially fantasy-based, so to speak, dungeon-crawling role-playing game. Yes, essentially. Though not in complete sense dungeon crawling, but the broad spectrum is you sit down and you imagine up a character, a person, a persona. Something you want to be, something you've maybe read before or watched in a show. Imagine any character that you've watched in your favorite TV series or movie or book you've read and think of what they would be like. Put that into a role and start playing as that person. An RPG combines three spectrums. The role that you play, role, play, and game. The role is your persona, what you imagine yourself as being, 
you essentially put yourself in the shoes of that person. Imagine what it would be like in such a time as the Middle Ages, hacking and slashing, or, you know, in this sense, using magic as well, bending the laws and the physics to your whim. Your imagination is the strongest tool you can use for that rolling, role side of it. The play to is- To be honest, that's actually the one, I'd say probably one of the funnest parts, if not the funnest parts of Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons in my- in my experience, is actually playing my character. Yes, that's that's a lot of uh, that's one of the main points of it. the 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 second one, play, is to have fun and enjoyment. You're supposed to. It's a game of cooperation between everyone that's sitting at the table. It's not a solo run. You're not playing some video game where you're you know did yours you yourself and only you. It's a collaboration and a team effort. And then, unless you're chaotic evil, then yeah. that will go. And then, then that goes but we'll that talk one. about alignments and character bird building in a future episode. Mm-hmm. And then the game portion of it is where they add in the mechanics, the rules, the little nooks and crannies, and little gears that help put it all together. Because you can you can imagine up a game and you know play and have fun. But if there's not a concrete foundation like they've been working on for so long, then it's not going to run as fluidly as they want. And that's why I enjoyed the fifth edition that I've jumped into because that's where I started and that's where I'm currently sitting at now is because of its fluidity and flexibility that it offers for both the new and the old players. Its simplicity allows for people to get in and start playing like that, just real instant. But it still has enough depth that there's still something new for a veteran to get out of it. That's one of the another reason why people like it so much is because no two games are the same. No, not even with the same dungeon master. Not even with the same dungeon master, not even with the same people. There this game has so much diversity that there will never be a repeat of a previous game. I mean, you can put people of the same, same people who've played before, same dungeon master, same world, same characters, and they can probably make different decisions than what they did previously. It is that much diversity in it. I never looked at it that way, but that's awesome. Um, however, that also... While we were talking about that, that probably came up with a question in my my mind that might be beneficial to our viewers, or I guess our <laughs> listeners, because this is not this is a podcast, not a video. I'm treating it like it's a video. <laughs> um, but anyways, so does one need to be good at either writing or acting in order to have fun or be good at Dungeons and Dragons? At least from my point of view, the answer is no. That's what I believe as well. There, The game definitely has its different perspectives that you can take from it. A person can be really good at the number crunching and the dice rolling and the statistics and the strategy behind a game and can be terrible at role-playing, but they can still have a good time. There can be other people who are really good at role-playing and putting themselves in that mindset, but they are really good with the number crunching. You don't need to have major acting skills or the brain of a mathematician to play this game. 
all you need is a desire and a willing to learn just a little bit, even if it's just the basics to get down. Because all you really need to do is just come to the table, sit down, and you're there. That's all you need is just yourself. You don't even need a character sheet or dice or, you know, a playman, miniatures. All you need is the DM and the people. That's the main frame of the game is just having the people there. That's true. That is true. However, a lot of mechanics actually in the game do uh, use dice. So, um, and I actually have some dice in my hand right now. You can't exactly see me. Maybe you can hear me. Ah, I do uh, as well, sitting on my table. But, um... Let's go... Let's, um, some... When it comes to dice, a lot of terms are used, such as D20 or D100 or all those types of things, or roll per, or perception, roll for damage, all that type of things that might confuse mm -hmm. new players. All the number crunching. This... This episode is kind of geared in getting started into the game. Let's go over the different types of dice and essentially what they do. Yes. So any set of dice that you buy when you're first wanting to get into D&D, the best thing you can go for is, is a set containing seven specific different kinds of dice. They are different in shape and number count. Those seven dice range from the low... Uh, D4 all the way up to your D20 and D100. Those dice depict and help you with a variety of scenarios. The main in fact, the main one that I'll get into right now is the D20. This is your bread and butter die. This is the die that you will probably roll 99% of the time because this die is your it roll it for your choices that you make that could have potential pluses or minuses and consequences for your combat, for your role-playing, for your scenarios of exploration. There, This die is probably going to be the most used die you will have. And so this is probably the one you want to look for first, is the D20. It's going to have 20 sides, of course. The, 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 whenever someone hears the term D something, D4, D20... It refers to dice and then the number of sides that die has. So D4 means a die that has four sides. D20 means a die that has 20 sides. The, quite simply, the D4 looks like a caltrop. <laughs> yeah, the D4 is your little pyramid. This is uh, this one right here, and then they go up from there. So D4, a little pyramid. Your D20 kind of looks like a giant ball, almost, the, probably the closest to you. The D6 is your square. You've got your D8. This one it looks like a two D4 stuck together. Your D10 looks like a almost like a top, a slightly bigger version of the D8, more sides. And a D12, which looks like a smaller version of the D20, just slightly bigger sides on it. That's then, a good way to look at it. Yeah, and then your D100. Now, this die is a special die in the fact that this one looks almost identical to the D10 except there's one difference, the numbers on it. While the D10 has 1 through Z, one through 10, the 10 being a 0, the D100 has 10s on the die. 10, 20, 30, 40, up to 100, and the 100 being the double zero. These two, this die is 
probably going to see the least amount of play, but has some factors in, in it which can be discussed later. And if used right, can probably have one of the biggest impacts on the game. It's that little secret gem that can probably tweak yourself, your game slightly in a different direction, but rarely does it see play. But other than that, those are the main factors of dice you'll have. You'll probably want to gather, I'd say, a small handful of each. Mainly not the D20s. The other ones are the other dice are usually used for combat scenarios or uh, potentially spells that might be cast. But the D20s I personally have actually work. four sets of dice. Yes, yeah, so I have about I want to say one, two, three, four, five. I have five main sets, but I have multiple other kinds of dice that I can use to make more sets. They're not the same color spectrum as you can get in these some of these special custom-made dice, but they still substitute good for any kind of scenario. That is true. These dice are actually very diverse sometimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Now, while we're on the subject of dice, let's talk about what... Also, another term that is often thrown around that our new viewers might not know about, and that is quite simply um, a nat 20 or a nat 1. Mm -hmm. So a nat 20 and a nat 1, in reference, as I said before, the d20 is your most used dice. The higher the number that you roll on the die, the better your chances are of success. The lower you roll on it, the lower your chances of success. There are numbers that will be added to the dice due to what you build, build your character with, but essentially if I were to roll this dice, I have a 1 in 20 chance to roll either a 1 or a 20 or somewhere in between. So if I were to roll this dice, I have a whatever I come up with and I just rolled and got an 8. Essentially, if I were to keep rolling this dice, eventually at some point I would either roll a, a 1 on the die or a 20 on the die. The 1 and the 20, the 20 being the highest number on the die, means you have the highest chance of success. And the 1 meaning you have a lowest chance of success. When someone rolls a natural 20, that means they roll the d20 and it comes up on a 20 without any modifiers being added to it, any other additional numbers being tacked on. And the same said for the natural one, is essentially you roll the die and you roll a one without any changes to it. In this, in this sense, the natural 20 means a guarantee of success in Dungeons & Dragons, while the natural one is a guaranteed failure. This allows for... Yeah, and sometimes it can be, yeah, sometimes there can be additional bonuses added in when a natural 20 happens, or the failure can be more severe if it was a natural one. Let's take a random scenario I can pull up. So you're fighting someone in combat, okay? Let's say you're a giant warrior, and you're going to swing your sword at this, you know, this wolf, okay? And I were to roll the die. If I were to get a natural 20, in combat scenario, that means... I crit and I do 
more damage to that thing. I hit a vital spot and I do, you know, I, I cut an or, you know, uh, a special organ, you know, it's severely wounded. Or if I roll a natural one, that can mean that I could get my blade stuck on the ground and I could, and I'd have to make, you know, attempt to pull it out and that could leave me vulnerable. Or if we could go with a non-combat scenario and say, I'm, I'm talking to a person, I'm trying to, I'm talking to a merchant, okay? And I'm sitting across from him and I'm trying to barter with him, you know, haggle down the price a little. And I would, uh, you know, roll my die and I got a natural 20. That means I got very persuasive and I could fine tune it down to the detail, added in a little, you know, a little sense that kind of made him, you know, listen a little more and, uh, believe that this is you know it's not that important of an item i'm just you know looking to get some additional things for me but if you were to roll a natural one he could probably double the price and or not even sell it to you at all the the die those two numbers can flip a game in any scenario the natural one can has done more than i'd say than a natural 20 i've seen because i don't i feel like the failures are more entertaining than the successes. A natural point is really fun. And all that's not going to lie. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, the, it's like the natural 20 is fun and all, but the natural one is, you know, so much, brings so much fun when you can see someone, something scenario happens and then you roll a natural one and you're like, what's going to happen now? It's that anticipation of like, What's the what's the DM going to pull out of his hat for this failure? In natural twenty, you know what kind of scenario they're going to go for. They succeeded, so they're going to get their their objective of what they're seeking. But a natural one means the complete opposite. But that opposite is a mystery. No one knows what kind of you know failure a person's going to get. You know the the two spe- the two examples I just showed don't exactly pertain to just any. It could pertain to any scenario, whether it's combat, non-combat, or exploration. You know, the, any time you roll that dice, something interesting is going to happen. Yeah, I remember one time I rolled a one when I was trying to shoot an arrow. It flew forward a little bit and then arced and landed straight in the snow. Just... Yeah, I remember I had a game once where I had some people. They were, it was my, I think it was my first group, okay? And I had done, I I had done a simple combat scenario for them. They were just camping out and I had them sit around and they were, you know, I had them, you know, go through a, um, uh, what is it? Someone staying up at night and, you know, keeping watch. And one of them, uh, one of them rolled, not a natural one, but he rolled pretty low. And so he, he didn't see anything. He fell asleep on his watch. And they and they woke up to being surrounded by wolves, and it's so essentially just a simple way to get them some combat experience. You know, wolves are pretty simple. You know, they're besides goblins or kobolds, they're probably one of the weakest creatures you can find in D anD. d So it was, you know, it was, you know, I was thinking, you know, four on four, simple tactics, and I wasn't going to use one of the wolves' main strategies, which is pack tactics. If two or more of them are attacking a single player, they have, you know, they they can do more damage. So I had them one on one. But the the problem was is that they had they they uh, one of their characters decided to keep himself laying on the ground, and their other character rolled a natural one when he was swinging at a wolf near that player, and I had him make another attack roll against the player on the ground. Thing is, when you're melee attacking another player, well, something on the ground, it's easier to hit them. 
so he crit on the player and put him down and then they just got butchered i was like because i was expecting him you know i was expecting him to do some mediocre damage and it would have you know been a simple you know hey this just goes to show don't stay laying down in combat you know it would have been just a simple you know uh, some little punish, little punishment, you know, lesson essentially for them, so that they could pick it up. But he rolled a natural twenty and completely put the guy unconscious. And then from there, the team just fell apart. And I was like, oh, yeah. They, essentially, I got him TPK'd by making him roll a combat scenario against that. But they laughed it off. They they found it was funny, and I'm still. You know, we're still friends after that. But it was just the factor of that one die roll can change that whole scenario. If he had rolled a natural 20, he would have totally just creamed the wolf. But because he rolled the natural one and then rolled the natural 20 when he was attacking, he missed and was swinging at his friend. There was that much more to show for it. You know, the natural 20 would have been cool, but the natural one had more of a more of a What's the word I'm looking for? Um, more of a memorable experience for them to remember. I'm hopefully he remembered his lesson to not remain prone now, but it was it's funny to think back on it. Yeah, that does sound pretty funny. So hopefully the listeners have a an idea of what. They can, I guess, possibly some of the scenarios they can expect from D&D just simply by talking about dice rolls, which we have to sadly admit are a large part of the game. Yeah, dice rolls are definitely the one of the key factors of the game. They're... Uh, the, the dice rolls, I feel, fit into the game portion of an RPG. And the characters and the role-playing fit into the role side of it. The play is how it combines those two. That's what I feel RPG means, is to combine both a role and a game into one. And the dice rolling, yeah, they're an important factor in the game. But even the dice can be swayed by the role-playing. And the role-playing can be swayed by the dice. Both impact each other for good or for bad, whatever the consequences show up in a game. Yeah, that's true. But anyways, so let's, for the sake of the episode, we're going to move on to the next topic and talk about, well, so we know what can happen, but how do we get started? Huh. What, yeah. How do you get started? With the how game do we get started with Dungeons and Dragons? Because this is the first episode that yeah. is going to come out up eventually. So, if we're talking getting started as a player or getting started as a dungeon master, but in this case, I'm going to speak as a player and say that all you need uh, the you can go out there and you can buy all the tools that you could ever need for Dungeons and Dragons and feel like you're totally prepared, but you wouldn't know how to use any of it. I, For me, I believe the most simple things you will need as a player for Dungeons & Dragons are just four things. First thing, get some dice. It's the, the These are your tools for the game. 
They're your arsenal, they're your helper, and your enemy all rolled in one. They're the fate in your hands. The next thing you need is a player sheet. I have some sitting right here in front of me. These player sheets are essentially how you know what kind of character you're playing. It's a, it's a, it has more to it than just that. There are statistics for your character. There are, you know, items, equipment, abilities, you know, race, class, all these different things. But this is essentially where all that information is held so that you don't have to keep it up here in your head. It's Which a way we'll of definitely talk about in future episode because there's too much to talk about. On that one sheet, yeah, on that one sheet. That one sheet of paper, though, just get yourself a simple copy of the player sheet. You can find it anywhere free online. They put it out there for anyone to just download. Maybe people have made their own versions of it, which I have looked for as well, just to make find simpler ones that'll be easier for newer people to pick up on. But get yourself a player sheet, some dice, and then the last two are a notebook and a pencil. That's it. Just those four. And you can get those for, let's see now, player's sheet, that's free. You just find it online and print it out. Cost you like, what, 50 cents to a couple bucks in ink? A uh, set of dice. I mean, I got these ones right here and they were pretty cheap. I got them for like, what, a five bucks for this little set right here? There you go. Notebook. You can find one at Walmart for like 50 to 75 cents. You know, a buck if you're wanting something with a little more pages in it so you have more space. And a pencil. You can buy, heck, you can probably just find one in your house. I mean, you, everyone uses them. That's all you need. You, you spent yourself getting ready for Dungeons & Dragons probably less than 10 bucks. You're already in. It's the four simple items that I feel just needs to get someone in there. There's a lot more to it that you can add, that you can buy. But I feel that these four are the basic starting items that you need to play Dungeons and Dragons. And I guess if you want to go a little bit further, you can go out and invest on the player's handbook. Yes, that would. That's another thing that's recommended for people. That one, of course, is a little more pricey. I it's, it varies sometimes, and depending on what kind you're, you know, what you're going for. But I've also found that you can. You usually your dungeon master, whoever you're playing with, will have that on them. If they don't, then that's on their head. But I feel like they should the dungeon master should have the books on hand for them to be able to use if necessary. But as a player, yes, it's probably a good idea to get the player's handbook and to flip through that. You can find it online for just to skim through it for free, just to look at it and read it. But Buying it in hand, I feel, is a lot better than reading it online somewhere because you can tab pages to come back to so you can find that little, you know, that info that you've been, uh, something that's been tripping you up, you know, some little snippet of ruling that you can't seem to understand and you can bring to your Dungeon Master for questions. Those, yeah, on top of those four that I listed, probably the player's handbook would be the next best thing. Though, of course, as a player... I feel like if at the bare minimum, those are the four those first four items are what you need to get playing. Yeah, essentially, this hobby I guess can be as I guess to some degree, it just depends on how much money you're willing to spend. Mm-hmm. And of course, the how much money you put into it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have more fun with it. It's how much how much money you put into it would just mean how much more you can take the game with it, how far you can take the game. 
But really, if you want to enjoy the game, you need to put your mind and your heart into it. Yeah, that makes completely sense. Yeah. You can sit down and play Dungeons & Dragons having everything you need, but if you're not into the game, even if it's if you're if you're into it for the number crunching, there you go. You're in it for the game. If you're in it for the role playing, there you go. You're in it. Essentially, be there. It's a give and take. the The player is the one who builds the story, and the DM is the one who helps, you know, present pieces for the players to, you know, they present challenges or you know experiences for them to test themselves and overcome. It's a give and take uh, scenario. This game is not, you know, a solo run. It's a team effort. And if you have, I definitely say game, it's actually literally impossible to play Dungeons and Dragons alone. Yeah, the the only time you could ever do a one on one D and D scenario is like right at the start if the DM is sitting down with the player and helping them put together their character and helping them get into the game. That's about it. That's as far as you can go in the one-on-one. You mean, you could potentially, you know, there might be a way of tweaking a scenario for a single player, but not really. Where's the fun in that? Yeah, where's the fun in that? It's a, it's a game meant for a group of people. It's, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a funny quote that goes along with most D&D games, and you'll hear it a lot as well. Don't split the party. This not only refers to a factor of don't physically in game split yourself up into two small groups and, you know, go away, but also a factor of don't think that this game is, you know, all for just this little group of people. Everyone who sits down to play the game from the person who's playing, you know, the charismatic, you know, bard and, you know, tuning a song to the grueling barbarian up front hack and slash to the wizard, you know, getting knowledge and casting spells. Each one has their role to play. And each one is just important as important as the other. Every one of them works together. And if you cater to any one too much, you're lowering the other ones and, you know, not making it as enjoyable for them. The diversity means that not only is there a lot to offer, but there's a lot of balance that needs to be maintained. So quite simply, the biggest takeaway of this episode is that you can bring all the the dice, miniatures, guidebooks, everything that you want. But first off, your DM would probably have that. Mm -hmm. What Dungeons and Dragons really need is you. I mean, you could build these awesome characters, but... And create these amazing backstories, which we'll go into next episode, perhaps. But if there's no one there to run them, there's no point. the game's a bust. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for coming. Again, thanks for coming on the show, Mitchell. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Caleb, my bad. I, I use your last name. That's all right. All right. So with that in mind, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you next time on the Dun- on the Dragonborn's Guide to Dungeoning and Adventuring. And until then, keep rolling.
Ooh, yeah. Phoenix, 